Recovery Elevator, episode 109. It just became something I enjoyed for all the wrong reasons. And it wasn't a social thing for me, really. It wasn't about going out and have a good time. It was more about just almost like a medication that I used to help myself deal with life. Welcome to the Recovery Elevator podcast. My name is Paul Churchill. Thank you so much for joining us. According to the Recovery Elevator sobriety tracker on my phone, I've been sober for two years and six months. I, right now, am in uncharted waters. Currently, in 2010, on January 1st, I decided to quit drinking. I lasted a little under two and a half years. Right now, like I just mentioned, I'm in uncharted waters. I have never made it this far in sobriety, and it feels good. Fortunately, I don't need to be like Galileo, Copernicus, Columbus, and navigate with the stars because I've got you guys. I've got tools. I've got a recovery portfolio jam-packed of resources and tools and all kinds of things like that that I need to stay sober. So I got to say thank you. And I want to say that again. I got to say thank you to you guys who are listening right now who have been an integral part of my sobriety. Thank you so much. On today's podcast, we've got Mitchell. He's been sober for one month and five days and is from Central Michigan. Before we get any further, let's hear from Cafe RE. Before I got sober, I felt alone. It felt like I was the only one in the whole world who found it extremely difficult to stop drinking once I had started. With Cafe RE, I now know I'm not alone. In fact, there are so many people all around this world just like me. In Cafe RE, for $12 a month, I get access to a private, unsearchable Facebook group where I can connect with other like-minded individuals, meet with them face-to-face in several weekly live webinars and meetings, I can get paired with an accountability partner who has a similar sobriety date as mine, I can attend in-person meetups and attend exclusive sober trips to places like Costa Rica. If there's one thing I've learned in sobriety, it's that I can't do this alone. Go to recoveryelevator.com and use the promo code ELEVATOR for your first month free. Again, use the promo code ELEVATOR when signing up for your first month free. Okay, let's get started. How to quit drinking. This is a big podcast episode right here. Now I want to preface this, that Recovery Elevator is not a program at all, but these are some of the things that I've learned after doing 108 podcast episodes so far, that if you do these things, which I'm guessing you won't do all of them, but if you do almost all of them, and I encourage you to do all of them, it'll stick, it will, and you're going to hear this list and be like, no way, that's a lot of stuff. But you don't got to change much. You just got to change everything. Yeah, heard that before on this podcast, but that's the case. So let's dive right into it. Number one, don't drink. Yep, sounds pretty easy, but how to quit drinking. First rule on that is you can't drink. Replace that beverage in your hand with a popsicle, maybe a ginger beer, a blue dolphin, anything. Just don't drink alcohol. Number two, watch the movie Leaving Las Vegas and then watch it again. If you still feel like drinking, watch it a third time. If you still feel like drinking, watch it a fourth, fifth, and sixth time. Number three, listen to every third eye blind song ever written. Okay, that one might not be too important to sobriety, but I decided to throw it in there anyways. Number four, don't watch the movie Beer Fest. I repeat, don't watch the movie Beer Fest. Number five, go to 90 meetings in 90 days. Number six, get a sponsor or an accountability partner. 
Number seven, think about joining an online community such as Cafe RE, but we're not the only one. Shane Raymer with that Sober Guy podcast, he's got an online community. Omar Pinto from the Share podcast, he's got an online community. Think about joining an online recovery community. Number eight, if you're thinking of, well, why do I have to quit drinking? Do I even have a problem? Have you ever wondered to yourself if you have a drinking problem? Well, think no more because that's your answer. Continue on this list. Number nine, tell yourself, don't forget that alcohol is pure shit. That will help you quit drinking. Number 10, affirmations. Your unconscious mind is way ahead of you when it comes to viewing alcohol ads and advertisements. You constantly need to affirm to yourself that you will not be drinking, period. Number 11, change everything. Change where you get your haircut. Maybe change your haircut style. Change the color of your walls and probably most of the friends you hang out with. Number 12, this one's a biggie. Tell the people closest to you that you no longer will be drinking. Not like the people closest to you in proximity at this very moment, but people closest to you in your life, your loved ones, your family, your spouse, your kids, your parents, etc. Number 13, create accountability. This is probably one of the most important ones on this list and which is why I am currently in uncharted waters. Number 14, You can't quit drinking with willpower because willpower is finite and exhaustible. You might last a week, a month, you might even last two and a half years like I almost did, but eventually you're probably going to drink if you're just using sheer willpower. Number 15, find a higher power. This higher power could literally be a pigeon sitting on a power line. Number 16, I hate to break it to you, but you can't do this alone. You're going to need a community of like-minded individuals to be surrounded with. This community could be online, in person, it could be your next door neighbor. I personally am extremely lucky to be sharing a condominium wall with a woman named Ty who edits this podcast. I think I lived next to her for about six to eight months before I realized that we were both in recovery and boom, the magic happened. Surround yourself with other like-minded people. Number 17, did I mention that alcohol is shit? Number 18, Number 18 on the list of how to quit drinking. If you're just starting this journey, you don't know any answers. So please put the cotton in your mouth and start listening. Number 19. If you ever say the words to yourself, I got this, you are fucked. Those are the three most dangerous words an alcohol can say, even if you're like myself with over two and a half years of sobriety. Number 20. Always give yourself an exit strategy. Drive your own car. Bring your own scooter, skateboard, or hoverboard because right around that time when your friends start getting tipsy is when the danger zone approaches. And I'm not talking about the song on the Top Gun soundtrack. 21. Look at yourself in the mirror. What do you see? Do you like it? Do you want to change what you see? How to quit drinking? You're probably going to have to change what you see in that mirror. Affirm it yourself. Talk to yourself in the mirror because that is you. You are a wonderful individual and you deserve something amazing. Number 22, ask yourself if you're reaching your full potential in life. Most likely, if you were drinking, that answer is no. Your dead relatives, they might not be proud of you. When I was at my grandpa's funeral, I saw him leaning against a World War II tank with a rifle over his shoulder. At that moment, I knew I needed to quit drinking. Number 23, if you were thinking about quitting drinking for somebody else, you are again fucked. You have to quit drinking for yourself. Be selfish. Watch out for number one. Number 24 on the list of how to quit drinking, don't beat yourself up. 
In fact, tell yourself a rock star. Sure, you might be an average guitar player who will never tour with Aerosmith, but you're worth it. You are gosh darn worth it. Do not beat yourself up if you fail to live up to the promise that you're not going to drink today. Alcohol does a pretty good job of kicking our ass. You don't need to kick your own ass also. How to quit drinking number 25. You might find yourself quite bored or a lot of extra time on your hands without this alcohol thing. Pick up a new hobby such as yoga, jogging, archery, stamp collecting. Stamp collecting to me sounds extremely boring, but yes, you get the point. Number 26, you need to get outside of your mind and fast. The best way to do this is help others. Miss Jones, across the street, her lawn is in desperate need of care. That'd be a great job and a great place to start. Number 27, if you think you've hit rock bottom, unfortunately I've got news for you. Every bottom has a trap door that can lead to much greater pain and suffering. However, the good news is when you do reach a bottom, there is something called a conduit. That is when your higher power is there to help you get sober. Again, don't put too much emphasis on what this higher power is. It could be that pigeon or the dove on the power line, or it could be the wind bristling between the pine trees, which is mine. But keep in mind, when you're at this bottom, you're at this trap door, which could always open and lead to a further deeper bottom, that is when the conduit arrives. The conduit arrives and you walk through the conduit and that is the time to get sober. Next up, how to get sober, educate yourself. Knowledge is useless unless you do something with it. There are a tremendous amount of great podcasts out there about recovery. I recommend listening to all of them and giving them all a try. Number 29, read books, preferably not while drinking. This Snake in Mind by Annie Grace is one of my favorite books. It was a game changer for me when I read that book. Also, a book called Beyond the Influence by Catherine Ketchum is fantastic. Number 30, if you think you're alone with your drinking, you're dead wrong. There are millions struggling with alcohol, and if you connect with some of them, you will find that what you have in common is incredible. 31, start to develop a recovery portfolio. Jam-pack this recovery portfolio full of books, full of contacts, full of AA meeting schedules, full of phone numbers, etc. 32. Get out of your damn comfort zone. I can tell you for the 100th time on this podcast that sobriety is not located inside of your comfort zone. Friends that try to convince you that sobriety is located in your comfort zone, or you know you can sit next to them at the bar stool, next to them at the bar, newsflash, they're probably not going to be your friends if you want to get sober. Number 33, lacrosse soda water is your best friend. That stuff is delicious. Number 34, I'm going to reiterate this again. Don't beat yourself up. Be kind to yourself. Alcohol did a great job of kicking our asses. Don't beat yourself up. Number 35, get up. Get up again. Get up. Get up again. And then get up 15 more times. I relapsed. I relapsed a lot. And if I didn't get up for the 356th time, if I'd stayed down that 355th time, I wouldn't be where I'm at right now. So get up, get up. I'm talking to you right now. Get up again, get up again and keep moving forward. 36, start writing, start writing a journal, start writing about what you're thankful for, start writing about what your goals are in life. And if your current pathway is leading you to those goals. A big component in that is the gratitude list. It's pretty hard to be in a bad mood when you start writing down what you're thankful for. 37 AA, Alcoholics Anonymous. I owe my life to that program. It's a great program. 
This podcast is not affiliated with Alcoholics Anonymous, but get outside your comfort zone and go to a meeting. Don't be such a wimp. Number 38, recognize, realize, and don't forget the stigma surrounding alcoholism and addiction is total bullshit. In 1956, the American Medical Association classified alcoholism as an addiction and as a disease. Why we're still talking about this today is a mystery, and I hope we can soon stop talking about the stigma. Number 39, do yourself a favor because this has been the best thing that I have ever done. The best decision that I ever made was come out of the closet as somebody with a drinking problem. I can guarantee you with 100% satisfaction that more good than harm will be the result. I highly recommend coming out of the closet with your drinking on social media. Yeah, give that one a try. You will be amazed by the results. Number 40, keep in mind that alcohol is ethanol with a couple additives added to it to make it palatable. Alcohol in its purest form tastes like raccoon's piss. Number 41, tell yourself that alcohol doesn't actually help you relax. What it's doing is slowing down your mental faculties. You are literally thinking slower when you're drinking alcohol. Number 42 on the list of how to quit drinking, watch the show The Anonymous People on Netflix. This is a very powerful documentary, and then watch it again. I probably have no joke watched that thing about four to five times. It's fantastic. Number 43, for one week straight, write down triggers that make you drink alcohol. Again, this is seven straight days of putting pen to paper. Number 44, acceptance is your best friend. It doesn't matter if you've been sober for a week, a day. You're not even sober right now. Acceptance is the answer. You must currently accept your situations and find a way to be content inside them. Number 45, this is big. Honesty. There's no chance of getting sober if you are not honest with yourself and others. I can tell you with 100% certainty, I have not had a drink for over two and a half years. If I did drink tomorrow, I would tell you. My program would go to shit if my honesty went out the window. Number 46, how to quit drinking. You've got to realize that you can't leap frog steps. We've all played this game, but it's not applicable in recovery. You cannot skip the steps to getting sober, but you can speed up the process. Number 47, write down on a piece of paper all the names of people you hold resentments towards. In another column, write what your part of the problem was. After that is done, read this large notebook, and it should be a long list to another person. Get ready for major light bulbs to illuminate. This right here is basically the fourth step in the 12 steps of the Alcoholics Anonymous. Now, many of you guys do the three-step waltz, which is one-step, two-step, three-step drink. The fourth step is when the rubber hits the road. I highly recommend doing this stuff. I found out that I had major confidence issues. I had problems with my brother succeeding in life and me not, things like that. It was really, really important, and I'm very glad that I did that step. Number 48, anonymity. This might seem contradictory to some since the word anonymous is in the word Alcoholics Anonymous, but being silent about your drinking problem only does you harm. You need to tell your loved ones, your friends, your family, and all the others you care about in, if you want to stay sober. You have to be vocal about your goals to stay sober. Number 49, develop a network of people who also share the same common goal not to drink. 
I'm not talking about Mr. Rogers on the television. I'm talking about real people that you can go have a cup of coffee with. Try to create a network of at least five to 10 people that you constantly have visual, personal, they can be online contact with, but they don't drink as well. Number 50, did I mention that alcohol kills more than all the other drugs combined? I know that fear does not get people sober, but with this reality, just tell yourself this. Alcohol kills over 3 million people worldwide each year. That is ridiculous. You do not want to be a stat. Again, fear is not going to get you sober. Well, it might get you sober for a little bit, but fear will not keep you sober. Now, that list could have gone on and on and on. And if you want to see the actual numbered list, go to recoveryelevator.com episode 109, and you'll be able to see the list there. If you do everything on that list, you're going to get sober. You're going to stay sober. You're going to find the live and achieve what you really want. What I have in life right now, I want you guys to enjoy and experience it as well. I'm in uncharted waters, like I mentioned, and I don't plan on going back. I'm currently sailing the waters in a dinghy, but hopefully in sobriety, I'll have my yacht one day. It's coming. Just wait. Now, let's hear from our interviewee, Mitchell. Mitchell, how are you? Hey, Paul. I'm doing awesome. Yeah, thank you so much for joining us. Mitchell, let's get right into this. How long have you been sober? All right. I have been sober for one month, one week, and five days, and two hours. You know how many seconds? I'd have to open the app to be able to tell you. <laughs> nice job on that, man. How does that feel? feels better than I have in a long time. Yeah. Absolutely. Before we get any further into this podcast interview, give listeners a little background about yourself. Maybe tell us where you're from, what you do for a living. Are you married? And maybe some hobbies. What do you like to do for fun? How old are you? Yeah. Well, I was born and raised in the metro Detroit area in Michigan and uh, uh, ended up uh, living out on Long Island for eight years. And now I'm back in my home state of Michigan as about a year ago. For a living, I am a lead pastor. I've been in full-time ministry for almost 10 years now. I'm 31 years old. I'll be married seven years to my amazing wife uh, coming up here in April. And our son, he turns three years old in April as well. He was born the day after our anniversary. And what do you like to do for fun? Music is a huge part of my life. I play the guitar, piano, and the cello. I'm really into photography, and my wife and I are huge Disney nerds. We love Disney World. We love Disney. We love to travel together, and so that's that's a big part of our life. I love the outdoors. I'm obsessed with the idea of traveling to the national parks, even though I haven't had a chance to go to very many of them. So, Hey, I got this crazy idea. We have this uh, national park. I think it's the most visited one called Yellowstone, and you could come to the retreat in August and check out Yellowstone. Oh, that is incredibly tempting. Incredibly tempting. Yeah. I gotta tell you. Mitchell, it sounds like you got the full package going on, man. You're 31, married to a, to a wonderful woman for seven years. You've got a son, is that what you said? Mm-hmm. Yep. He'll be three. And you play, you play guitar and play the piano and the cello? Yeah. Yep. I, well, I was, uh, you know, in the church I was at the, before this one, I was a full-time uh, music minister. So music was a huge part of my life for a long time. And I still enjoy it just now more as a hobby. So Nice, nice. And what's yeah. your favorite Disney movie? Oh, man, that's a really, really tough question. You know, this is the most feminine answer you'll probably hear on this podcast, but I love Beauty and the Beast. <laughs> so yeah. um, there you go. There we go. Mine is The Lion King, and I think... The most inspirational moment in The Lion King is when 
uh, I forget that monkey's name, but he whacks Simba over the head with that stick. You know, oh, Rafiki. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's just something about that when he has to like run home and go back home. I remember watching that movie in sobriety and thinking about that. I was like, man, it's time for me to get my life back on track, get things going again. Yeah, yeah. Um, I think I should watch that today. <laughs> yeah. That'll help. Speaking of, yeah, I think I'm gonna just uh, make today a Disney day. Why not? Yeah, there you go. Yeah, so let's back it up a little bit, Mitchell. You're 30, you're 31. When yep. did you first realize that maybe you didn't drink like a normal person? Well, I guess when I just started taking inventory of how much I've been drinking, and I thought, well, even though I'm not getting blacked out drunk and all this type of stuff, I am literally drinking every single day of the week. And uh, if I can't, or if it's difficult, or if it's challenging uh, to be able to get to alcohol, I still find a way. And so when I looked at Peck over the past few years, I thought, this this is really starting to become an issue. I, I can't seem to just take a day off. So are you thinking like at age 25 on, or was it something like you, you just lived the last couple of years that you decided, you're like, wait a second, this is, this is kind of becoming an obsession in my life? Well, yeah. You know, I mean, it's funny because I didn't start drinking until I was 22 years old. You know, I was going to school for ministry and I was being a good kid and uh, something just I decided when I was 22, I was at my friend's 21st birthday party, and I thought, you know, he's 21. How ironic I'll have my first drink when he's 21 and I'm 22. And at that point, I was in my senior year of college, and I just I just went for it. I was drinking all the time, drinking by myself, drinking before class. It was just this amazing thing that I seemed to enjoy so much, and uh, it was really hard to stop. But I did, when I uh, found it, got a position as a pastor in full-time ministry, I was just so scared, I guess, by the responsibility and the calling and everything else that I that I just stopped. For about seven years, I stopped fully, and then I started drinking again, and it was just like no time had passed. I just really enjoyed doing it. Now, there's one common thing that every interviewee has, has said, and, and same thing with me, was when we we took that first drink, you were 22, your buddy was turning 21, and it was like we found something magical. Was it, 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 talk to me more about that experience. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I struggled with a lot of anxiety and depression while I was in college, and this just seemed like the, the magic cure. I mean, I wasn't anxious when I went to class. I wasn't, you know, dealing with those kind of feelings and thoughts because I was numb, and, uh, you know, so it, it, it just became something I enjoyed for all the wrong reasons. And it wasn't a social thing for me, really. It wasn't about going out and have a good time. It was more about just almost like a medication that I use to help myself deal with life. Yeah, and so I asked my brother, and I've asked a lot of my other friends who are normal drinkers, what was it like when they first drank? And mm -hmm. a lot of them, their response was, man, it, it, it wasn't really that cool. My head, you know, you get the spins when you go to bed, and, and they, it just wasn't this, like, magical, euphoric feeling. So mm -hmm. I don't know if it's just our genetic makeup, our genetic wiring is different, but you're right, right with me as well. When I first took my first drink, I knew I was on to something big, and it was a, a love affair with alcohol for a while that uh, took a turn for the worse. Now, do you have, uh, you know, uh, is it genetic in your family? Is there anybody else in your family lineage that has problems with alcohol? I think that there is. Yeah, I think uh, some of my uncles have big problems with it. It's in my family. It wasn't talked about a lot. Uh, wasn't in front of me a lot. But if I was to go and look back, it's definitely there. And for the seven years where you didn't drink, was it difficult, you said? And it sounded like it was almost you didn't drink out of fear. Of, of losing a position? Was it difficult right. not to drink during those seven years? 
for a while, I didn't really think about it. I look back and think, wow, like, you know, I can't believe I was doing it that much. And, uh, and, and then, you know, I don't know, I just felt like, hey, I can handle this. And so for a while, I just every Friday, I'd have a couple of drinks when I got home. And uh, from there, I just enjoyed that so much that it just became a, a totally different thing for me. I just fell back into my old patterns that I had, you know, all those years ago. Now, did you put rules into place ever saying like, look, only Fridays at this time I'm drinking this, no hard liquor, only beer. And did any of those rules ever work? Oh, man, rules never worked for me at all because there would always be some stress, some fear, some anxiety, some worry, some situational thing that came up. And uh, those rules were really important and sounded great when I made them. But as long as alcohol was my main coping mechanism for dealing with difficulty, I would always go back. Yeah. Now, one month and five days ago, a couple hours ago and things like that, was that your rock bottom moment or did something, did something happen or were you, were you trying to get sober before that as well? I think for a long time I was trying to just say, you know, let's, let's just take a break and I couldn't do it. And so, you know, about a month or so ago, I just, I'd finally had enough. I had to drink more and more. To, to get the same feeling. And it just, it just caused me to make all kinds of unhealthy decisions. I would drink every night and then eat everything in the cupboard and wake up and feel like garbage every single day. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, yeah, I mean, I was never getting like wasted drunk, but I always drank enough to where I felt different. And when it became difficult to feel any different, even though I was drinking the same amount as before and, and more and more, I thought I have an issue. And thank God I found your podcast and I heard things like, you know, look for similarities and not differences and, and started to understand, hey, you know, you might be an alcoholic if you're typing into Google, am I an alcoholic? You know, I started <laughs> to, to learn it's, it's, you know. Good old Dr. It, Google. Yes, exactly. Now, I, I think one of the biggest trepidations people have to getting sober, um, you know, they walk into an Alcoholics Anonymous meeting and they see the word God on the wall and they're just like, peace, I'm out with you. You're, you're a lead pastor. I mean, you fully, right. you, you fully believe in the man. How, right. how important has a higher power been for you in, in getting sober? Well, I think that's the difference between me, you know, becoming dangerously, hugely, uh, massively drunk all the time and to having hope and having a future and finding the coping resources to deal with it. And so it's interesting, though, because uh, so much of my work is tied up in helping other people and in, in their relationship with the Lord and stuff. But being a lead pastor is a really hard job. And so you're conflating conflating spiritual things with, with, you, with your calling, with your work, with uh, with a paycheck sometimes, even though it's noble work. And so there are times where, um, yeah, it's, it's, uh, the, the, the God thing would be just as stressful and as challenging as it would be helpful because it's so tied into so much of what's stressing my, my, me out in my life, which is leading a church. Wow. Okay. I didn't see that answer coming that, I, that, that it also could have been stressful for you as well. That's interesting to hear about that. Yeah. Alcohol was kind of my escape from thinking about God, even though I love God and I serve him, you know, I don't know if that makes any sense, but I'm still trying to work out all that my, on myself, I guess. No, that, 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 that does make sense. And did you ever feel perhaps let down, for example, mm -hmm. from God? Like, Hey, come on, man. Like why I'm trying so hard. Like what, what, what's going on? 
Yeah, I think one of the hardest things was I was leaving our last church, and I was a big step of faith to move to a new state with my family. I was comfortable with the position that we were at, and we came out here, and as the church was really unhealthy, a lot of struggles. I mean, I've never been anywhere that's, it's, we're kind of in the middle of nowhere a little bit, a lot of poverty, a lot of hurting people, and I was pouring myself out into so much, and, you know, it was overwhelming, and I would just look forward to, at the end of the day, saying, hey, at least I got that drink waiting for me, and that, that was my coping mechanism to deal with the challenges that come with leading a church that's been through a lot of difficulty. Wow. So how how did you do it? Over you know, one month and five days ago, how did you do it? Did you did you go to Alcoholics Anonymous meetings? Did you just sit down one morning, pray on a knee, and, and say, "Look, I'm done"? And how, how'd you do it? You know, I think it was actually taking the initiative to actually sign up for Recovery Elevator and join. The group, I had listened to the podcast a lot before I actually stopped drinking, and I thought, well, you know, here's one piece of it, but it's not working for me. I need, I need people who I can connect with and talk to. And I found that as I was really tempted to drink, I had an outlet now. I had people that I could, uh, that could uh, you know, intervene and, and talk me through some stuff before I made that choice. And then it just started to get easier as I had some time. Another thing that helped me hugely, too, was when I went on a, a, a diet. And what I found was when I was restricting all the junk food and candy and just all kinds of things, uh, my cravings for alcohol also lessened quite a bit. Now, this is a value bomb that I'm going to drop right now that Mitchell fully understands is the members of Cafe RE that get the most benefit out of it give the most. Um, right. there, are, there are times people cancel and they're like, you know what, I like to cancel. I don't really see what I'm getting out of my $12 a month membership. But guys like Mitchell, I, I typed Mitchell's name in, um, in, in, in the private confidential group and he has just poured his heart out. And, you know, someone, someone will ask a question and Mitchell is always there to respond and to be of service and to help other people. And that is really where the rubber hits the road where it's not like, Hey, what am I getting out of this? It's what I can give. It's the strangest thing. Can you comment more on that? Yeah, you know, I think it's, you know, I love to help and I and I love to know that I'm not in it alone. And uh, honestly, you know, this group has been just nobody is judgmental or harsh towards each other. There's just a lot of support. And when you're first in recovery, it just it helps so much that people, they get it and they want to be there for you. Absolutely. And and in one month and five, five days, have you had any cravings? Oh, Almost every day. And I'm <laughs> Thank, thanks for the honest answer. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm concerned about the dry drunk thing and everything else, but I, I'm trying to educate myself and, and work really hard. But there are times, and I'll, I'll tell this story real quick. I was actually a couple days ago, went to the store, did what I always did, got my uh, 24 ounce beer, and I was just, I was, I was going to drink it. I had it in my car. I was, you know, I usually drink before I went in the house so my wife doesn't have to see what's going on. And I would just, I said, I'm going to do it. And uh, I was about ready to open it. I just posted in the group. I said, hey, I'm sitting here with this beer. I'm ready to drink it. And, you know, people started commenting. Somebody said, post, oh, post a video of dumping it out. And I thought, I need to do that. I just did it real quick. And it was such a close call. And I just, I, it was like a miracle that I didn't drink it. And I thought, wow, um, yeah, cravings are still there. And I, I'm still figuring this thing out. Wow, that is incredible. And you just dumped it out 
right there. Um, you, you know, I can, I, I can tell you from firsthand experience that the cravings don't go away, but they do get a heck of a lot easier. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and, and my, my cravings right now, they happen at restaurants. They happen at social occasions when I look right. across the table. But then I can think myself through the drink. The craving lasts for, we're talking seconds here. We're talking three, four, five seconds. Then I think about the, you know, just the shit storm that would eventually entail if I did start to drink. But right. gosh, I, I got to give you a huge pat on the back for that one. I mean, that that is huge. And, and so in your first 72 hours, did you have any withdrawal symptoms or any, anything like that? You know, of course not. There weren't physical withdrawal symptoms, but certainly I was on edge a lot. You know, our son's at an age where he, he throws a lot of tantrums, and we have a, a golden retriever puppy at home, and the combination of those two oh, just drive you insane. And so uh, there are just not a lot of peaceful, quiet moments. I know people recommend meditation and getting alone, but that is very, very challenging. And so those first couple of days, I was, you know, I didn't have that drink to look forward to, and it, it was driving me nuts. But uh, eventually, I found out that wow, those cravings do pass. And I was started to really enjoy my evenings uh, more than when I was drinking. And that was, that was huge for me. Mitchell, I remember when I was drinking and I had my puppies, he's now he's three and a half years old, standard poodle named Ben. But man, I remember he would like urinate on the carpet and I'm shit faced and it just <laughs> like, dude, you gotta be kidding me, Ben. You're, oh, yeah. you know, he's, he's like 10 weeks old. Right. And mm-hmm. I can only imagine, you know, drinking with a, with a Labrador puppy, with uh, with a child as well in a, in a family, you got you got your hands full for sure. Yeah, it's a golden retriever, and you know it'd be the kind of thing at the or end of the yeah, night. You retriever. just yeah, you just want to sit down and relax, and the dog will just try to just eat your hands, bark, and just like you know, drinking was the one thing that took the edge off of that. But just learning how to deal with life on life's terms, I mean, that's that's huge for me. Let's expand on that one for a second, right there. That's one that I still. And I, I, I say that to myself daily, you know, live on life's terms. And what does that mean for you? Well, it means that it's okay for stuff to be nuts. And, uh, you know, you don't have to try to escape it somehow. You're strong enough to deal with the things that come your way. And, you know, like the serenity prayer says, just accept the things that you can't change. And, you know, I'm learning more and more about that, you know, learning that, you know, even as a pastor who, you know, knows how to pray and knows how to find help and knows how to help other people there still can be some brokenness inside of you to where you you have a hard time you know facing life for what it brings you i think we have a unique opportunity to have you on the podcast right now there's a lot of us out there that have never prayed i pray daily i pray to my higher power which we were just discussing before this my high my higher power is the wind in the nature in in the trees mm-hmm. i love the outdoors but how do we pray? How, how, how do you do it? I don't know. I know there's not like yeah. well, step one, two, three, four, but give us a, give us a quick walkthrough of how somebody can get into it who's never done it before. I think it's just a matter of, first of all, I think to pray, you've got to be comfortable. You've got to be confident that the God that you're praying to really wants to hear you pray, really cares about what you're praying and really wants to make a difference. And so it begins with that relationship that you trust the character and nature of God, that he's good and that he's for you and that he's not trying to shame you or guilt you. And uh, then you can approach God openly and honestly and uh, expectantly and just talk to God like you would, you know, um, just very freely, like you would a friend, you know, as a Christian. You know, Jesus said, you know, I I call you my friends. And so I speak to the Lord as a friend. Uh, Just that openness and honesty and not that religious kind of 
prayer that sounds so fancy and all this language. It's just this, just from your gut, from your heart, you know, that's, that's, that's how I pray. Now, is there a posture that I need to be taking? Do I need to be kneeling? Do I need to be walking? I'm, I'm serious on this. Yeah. No, I mean, I mean for, for what I believe, the Bible teaches to pray without ceasing. And so that means when you're walking, when you're standing, when you're sitting, whatever, sometimes you obviously want to be more focused and you, you want to, you know, be able to kneel or to sit. But I say, you know, however you are most comfortable, I pray best when I'm walking because it helps me not to have my mind wander and I get fidgety. <laughs> no, I hear you on the fidgety, fidgety component. Yeah. yeah. Quick side note there. I was the best man at my brother's wedding and three people after the ceremony, they came up, they're like, yeah, great job. You are very fidgety, Paul. It's like, oh, thank you. I appreciate that. <laughs> yep. all, I, all I did was stand there, but I'm one fidgety cat. You know, Mitchell, what, what advice? I, I love asking this question to people. Mm. What advice would you give to your younger self? Oh man, I would just say, you know, first of all, don't take that first drink. I wish I could tell myself that because that's where it all starts. But I'd also tell myself, you know, there are so many things in life that are so much better when you are sober. And oh, I guess I tell myself this too. This is huge. You know, alcohol is addictive for everybody. And it's, it's just, it's not safe. It's not a safe thing. You know, I think if I realized it wasn't safe or okay, I would have done a lot better. I, I guess I'm a little confused yeah. too. When, when I grew up, I grew up Episcopalian, and I went right. through confirmation. I did all that jazz, and we I, we remember dipping these like extremely dry wafers into into red wine, <laughs> and then my my, my parents right. would drink the wine. What's the correlation there? Um, oh, you're talking about like in a communion setting or something like that? Yeah. Yeah. Well, it just the, the wine's supposed to rep- represent the blood of Christ and the bread is his broken body. So you take these symbols and, you know, it's 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 a thing that you're remembering what 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 Jesus did on the cross. So um, as far as it having to be wine, we, we've always used grape juice. And so but, you know, different traditions are use different things. I don't think it's got anything to do with the alcohol, though. That's for sure. Gotcha. So the no, the church you're in, you guys use grape juice. Is that what you're saying? That's right. Oh, OK. Yeah, okay. Clear grape juice. So it doesn't stain. How about that? So, so it doesn't stain. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I yeah. can see a lot of faux pas <laughs> going down that way. Yeah. Um, how have relationships changed in the last one month and five days with you and your wife, with you and your son, and you and your golden retriever puppy? <laughs> well, I'm a lot more present now. You know, at night, you know, my wife and I always just enjoyed, like, every other couple on earth, just zoning out to some Netflix for an hour. And when I was drinking, I was never paying attention to anything that was going on. I was always distracted. And kind of in my own world. And, and now we enjoy things together more, you know, all that kind of stuff. I just more present. I, I you know, I, I, when I'm putting my son to bed at night, I, I'm not trying to rush through it so I can get to drinking. I just enjoy the moment and realize how special it is. Sure. And walk us through a day of Mitchell. How do you stay sober? How are you going to get one month and six days? Wow, that's a good question. You know, I think continuing to reach out uh, to those I have relationships with that know I'm struggling, uh, the moment I start struggling is probably the biggest thing for me. And reading, you know, knowledge is, is the most powerful thing I've had in sobriety um, because I have to retrain my unconscious self, what it believes about drinking, how it's going to help. So I constantly feed myself with information about the dangers of alcohol, what it does to my body, my mind, my spirit, all of that, because, man, I forget really quick. I read the Stop Drinking Now by Alan Carr and This Naked Mind, Annie Grace, and it was really powerful for me for a while, but I found I had to keep reminding myself of that stuff or else it would just disappear. I got the Alan Carr, The Easy Way to Control Alcohol book open up right on my desk right here Mm -hmm. within two feet away from me. 
Both those books were game changers for me, in my opinion. I love yeah. both those books. And Mitchell, we have reached the rapid fire round. If you can answer these questions within 30 to 60 seconds, that would be great. Are you ready? Yeah, let's do it. All right. Number one, uh, Mitchell, what was your worst memory from drinking? Okay, so I had to think about this one, but this came to my mind. It was when my son, uh, who was, of course, a toddler, he he found a hidden beer can in the drawer, and he took it out of the drawer, and he started beating our puppy with it. <laughs> and, um, uh, of course, I was hiding this from my wife at the time, and I got it away from him just in time. She didn't see it, but I thought, where in the world am I at to where this is going on in my house? Like, what is happening? So I just, <laughs> it was a moment of clarity to see his innocence and to see something like that in his hand. It was just, it was upsetting. That is incredible. And we've all heard of the aha moment. Did you ever have an oh shoot moment indicating that you couldn't <laughs> control your drinking? Well, well, you don't have to censor yourself there, Paul. I know what kind of moment it really is. I'm but. sorry, Mr. Pastor. Okay. <laughs> have you ever had an oh shit moment? <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's funny. Yeah. I'd say I was on vacation back in December, and I was uh, looking forward to making drinking a part of that vacation. I bought a bunch of IPA beers, which we know are, of course, high in alcohol, also sure. high in calories. And I was drinking those throughout the week. And I think it was the last day of vacation. I just, I looked in the mirror, not something that I like doing or enjoy doing very much, but I really looked at myself and I looked at my stomach and it looked like I was literally in my third trimester. It was just <laughs> insane. I was like, what is happening to my body? I've never, never looked like this, felt like this. And I was like, this is all because of drinking. And yeah. I knew it. And it was, yeah, it was, a, it was a tough moment. Yikes. And what's your plan in sobriety moving forward, Mitchell? I think just continuing to, like I said, uh, just feed myself with the, the knowledge of, of uh, what it means to be in recovery and, and, and how dangerous alcohol is, staying part of Cafe RE, getting more real-life accountability partners, of course, listening to the podcast and doing things like that, and just, uh, you know, pursuing every avenue that I can. I think the biggest lie I used to tell myself was that I could do this on my own, and it's just, it's nonsense. I mean, you can't. You, 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 I really am powerless, and just reminding myself of that. I'm powerless over alcohol, and that will, that's the biggest key for me. And in regards to sobriety, what's the best advice you've ever received? Oh, I would say it was just that, you know, you don't have, you don't got this. I think that's the best. You know, <laughs> yeah. I've got this. No, it's, it's, you've got to do the work. You've got to put in the time. You've got to do the reading, the listening, the praying, the community, all of it, because uh, this addiction is not something that just goes away on its own. It, it's, it's tough. I'm going to throw a couple more questions in there that I'm, I'm curious on these answers is, uh, yeah. you know, one month, five days, you know, you're not out of the clear. I'm not out of the clear. No one is ever in the clear. What are your thoughts on relapse? I think the most important thing about relapse is don't beat yourself up too much because that guilt and shame will just lead you back to the addiction that, that you love so much to begin with. And, uh, you know, uh, it doesn't matter how many day ones you have, just keep going, just keep going and just leave it behind you as fast as you can. And what's your proudest moment in sobriety, Mitchell? Oh man, uh, just making it this far. Oh, I maybe dumping that that beer out that I was so ready to drink. I mean, that was a pretty proud moment for me because, man, I, that, my whole body was fighting that, and I, I did it. I, I didn't drink, and uh, so I'm I'm proud of that moment, absolutely. 
Nice job. And Mitchell, before we depart, give listeners your own customized You Might Be an Alcoholic If line. Okay. You might be an alcoholic if you have a beer bottle opener that looks like a fake handcuff and you keep it in your car so you can drink even though it's illegal. (laughs) Oh, I love those. (laughs) They never get old. That's awesome. Mitchell, thank you so much for joining us today. You've been a big part of my recovery being in Cafe RE. I love reading your posts. You're inspirational. Um, we're lucky to have you in that group for sure. Well, thanks, Paul. Um, you're, you're the man. Really appreciate you so much. Now, we've all heard you are the average of the five people you hang out with the most. In regards to sobriety, this is paramount. If the five people you hang out with the most are not encouraging you to get sober or they could be problematic drinkers themselves, then that has to change. Changing our friends, changing our relationships, that's difficult. Like I mentioned, nothing cool is located inside of our comfort zone. All the amazing things that we want to achieve in life, they're located outside of our comfort zone. So Recovery Elevator, please Listen to this list. Listen to this list again. Um, I, I put it together quickly on the plane ride back from Columbia, but it's pretty comprehensive. And there's a hard way to get sober, and there's a harder way to get sober. This list of 50 items is the harder way to get sober, which is the way to get sober. So Recovery Elevator, we took the elevator down. We got to take the stairs back up. We can do this.